In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, over the past two weeks, we heard such wonderful and encouraging texts and hymns. And we had the great joy of remembering the Reformation and that we are saved not by our obedience, but by faith in the promise of God. And last week, we all had the immense comfort of All Saints Day and learned of the joy of life everlasting. And with Thanksgiving close at hand and Advent and Christmas a little over a month away, we're surrounded by so much joy. But today is different. This Sunday will be sobering. In fact, I don't think you're going to like it all that much because it's going to be a reality check to all of us. In the midst of all of this joy, Jesus warns us. And he reminds us that our life and this entire world will come to an end. Even though we have such great joy awaiting us right now, we live still in a veil of tears. We still see the consequences of our sin. We feel our guilt, are persecuted by the world, and are under constant attack from the devil. That's the world we live in, a world that tries to take us away from God. This is what Jesus gets at today when he speaks of the abomination that causes desolation. When the Bible uses this word, abomination, the majority of the time it's referring to idolatry. Even more, it leads to desolation, that is, to hopelessness. So what is it? In order to understand what it is, we have to start way back in the Old Testament, specifically the book of Daniel, chapter 7. Daniel prophesied that an abomination would take place in the temple. Some believed the word of God he spoke and others didn't. But in 167 BC, everything came to pass. King Antiochus profaned the temple. He built an altar on top of the altar for burnt offerings. In the very place where lambs were slain to point Israel forward to the sacrifice of Christ, the Lamb of God, another altar was built to a false god of the pagans, to Zeus. In the very place where God would atone for the sins of Israel, the very place where the repentant would receive the forgiveness from God, they built an altar to a fake God. So when Jesus uses these words in the gospel lesson for today, he's alluding to this very event, and it's this exact event that comes up in the disciples' minds. That's why Matthew says, let the reader understand. It was written in history, it was told from generation to generation, and even though it happened 150 years or so before that day, they still knew what they were talking about. But now Jesus is saying that another event is going to happen in the temple, a second thing. And this one will be worse than anyone has ever seen or will see. Jesus prophesied that the temple wouldn't simply be defiled, it would be destroyed. And it was. And in 70 AD, around 40 years after Jesus said it, the Romans surrounded Jerusalem and they seized it. They desecrated the temple. They tore it down and not one stone was left on top of the other. They killed over a million of the people living there. This is actually one of the most tragic and gut-wrenching events. In fact, it's the counterpart to the sermon and to the service you heard back in August on the 10th Sunday of Trinity. This is just the other side. This is Trinity 25. 
All right, so now you understand what Jesus is saying. He alludes to the prophecy from Daniel that came to pass. And now he himself predicts the destruction of Jerusalem 40 years before it happened. Now Jesus predicts something else. He says, For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. And dear saints, you see that Jesus' words are true even as we speak. There are countless people who claim to be Christ. A simple Google search shows you a long list of the people who claim to be Jesus. So many people follow them. Some lead people astray with great signs and wonders. Others deceive people with clever arguments and numbers. Many lead away the masses by their apparent success, and they call themselves Christians. And this is precisely what is so deceiving about them. They use the Bible. They speak half-truths. They twist the words of Scripture, the words of Jesus. They appear to be righteous. In fact, they are so deceptive that Jesus says, if God had not predestined you for salvation before the foundation of the world, you would all fall away and believe them. When the Christians saw the sign that Jesus prophesied to them, they fled Jerusalem and they were spared. But what about you? What is the sign that false Christs and false prophets are in your midst? What is the sign for you that an abomination is about to take place through the mouth of a false prophet? What is the sign that should send you running for the hills that you should, you, you, that, that you should get up, not turn back, and leave everything behind? What is the sign that the church you're in is about to be destroyed spiritually? Well, let me suggest to you that the sign is this. When you are no longer called to repent of your sin, that's when you know an abomination that causes desolation is about to occur. The one thing that all false Christs and teachers have in common is that they don't preach repentance. That is a confession of sins and a begging of Christ's forgiveness. Once you no longer need to repent, then you no longer need Christ. And at that very moment, something else is being placed on that altar. Something else is being placed in the lectern and in the pulpit. Either your good works, your good intentions, your self-justification, your half-truths about yourself, your acceptance of yourself, your own happiness. All of this takes the place of Jesus the Lord. Instead of the altar being the place where Jesus is sacrificed for you, it becomes the place where you are good enough to sacrifice yourself to Him and earn your way to heaven, not by repenting and confessing sins and pleading His mercy, but by living better, as you think is right. When you're no longer hearing repentance, then you will no longer hear forgiveness. And this is what all false prophets have in common. They will use Jesus to talk about anything except his own bitter suffering and death upon the cross for your forgiveness. The sign for you to know that Christ is no longer about to be in that church is when you hear that you are okay just the way you are. If you are fine just as you are, then you don't need the death of Jesus. 
You don't need to repent because there's nothing to turn away from. And there's no one to turn to if you turn to yourself. Whatever isn't called sin won't be forgiven. And this is the idolatry that leaves us hopeless because it takes us away from Christ, our Lord, who is our only hope. False prophets scratch itching ears. They preach what people want. They say what keeps them happy. They say, you know, let's not talk of sin. That's uncomfortable. Repentance is so archaic. It's too strong of a word. It turns people off. We need to get in step with the times. Let's focus more on relationships and less on repentance. And this is the lie that deceives the masses. And why is this such a powerful lie? Why does it deceive so many? Because that's exactly what their sinful hearts want to hear. No one, none of you, not even me, wants to be told that what they've done is wrong, that it offends God, that it is evil, that it is wicked. Our sinful nature loves sin. It loves being right. It loves sinning so much that it attacks those who then call them to repentance. The world hates being called to repentance. This is why they killed John the Baptist. In fact, it just so happens that pastors who actually do preach this repentance, who truly call their members to confess of specific sins, are oftentimes belittled and slandered and painted out to be bad. Those who plead for people to repent and turn to Christ for the sake of their eternal salvation, even with tears in their eyes, are oftentimes scoffed at and mocked and dismissed. Those who rebuke and correct out of love for the neighbor are rumored to be mean, rumored to be unloving, chastised, and shunned. I mean, you, you know this. You guys know this. Some of you know this to be true in your own families, with your friends and loved ones, here even in the church. Yet on the other hand, anyone who turns a blind eye to sin and doesn't call to repentance anymore, those who stop leading people to Christ are loved beyond measure. And this is because the sinful, stubborn heart doesn't want to repent. And for that reason, they don't want the Jesus who says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. They want another Jesus, a different Jesus, one that the Bible does not speak of. So whenever you hear a preacher refuse to preach repentance, he's doing in that moment his own version of what happened in the temple in Jerusalem. He's replacing Christ's sacrifice with another. When you remove Jesus' death, you remove the need for repentance. Repentance means turning away from sin, admitting it's your fault and running to Christ for forgiveness. But those who won't point out your sin will neither point you to your Savior. So many replace Jesus' sacrifice for sin on the cross with something else because the cross is offensive. The Bible says it's a stumbling block. It's a stumbling block because it means that we have to actually and truly acknowledge that we are sinners, that we have actual sins to confess. But woe to those who don't preach this and woe to you when you cut yourself off from the preaching of God's forgiveness through impenitence or unbelief. It's bad enough 
that pastors and churches remove the preaching of Christ's blood and righteousness from their pulpits when they do that have nothing to do with them. But it's equally bad when the blood and righteousness of Christ are removed from your heart by being unrepentant. When you refuse to confess your sin and no longer beg for the Lord's mercy, then a great abomination dwells in your heart instead of Jesus. And be careful, Zion. Be very careful to not harden your heart to God's word. Don't let your sins linger too long before repenting. In fact, repent quickly as soon as your sin is pointed out because your days are numbered. Just as Jesus prophesied all of these things to be true, he also prophesied that the coming of the Son of Man, that is his return, will be like a flash of lightning, instantaneous. Your final day may come upon you like a trap. It may be any second, so don't wait for a sign. This word, this sermon, is your sign. Don't waste the day. Today is the day of salvation. Repent now, because you may not get tomorrow. These are not easy words. Just as earnest and serious and sincere as Jesus' words were to those in Jerusalem, so too are his words to you today about repentance. Many will be led astray by this great delusion, the delusion of not having to admit your wrong, your sin, never having to confess it, never having to deny yourself for having to repent. But it's a delusion and a lie. Those who speak this way are false Christs and false prophets, and they will perish. But for those of you who are listening, for those of you who actually care about what Jesus, the true Jesus, has to say, I want to encourage you with this. Remember the destruction of Jerusalem uh, and the temple in 70 AD. And remember how Jesus gave them a sign to flee immediately. Well, secular history does indicate that the Christians in Jerusalem left very quickly after the sign. They took him at his word, and as soon as they saw the abomination, they fled to the mountains. They left everything in their homes. They didn't go back to get it. They just got up and left, and those who listened to Jesus and believed his word 40 years before were, were saved from that destruction. They were spared from the doom that came upon Jerusalem. And dear saints, the same is true for you who listen to Jesus' word even now. Everything that Jesus said has come to pass. It has happened. But there is one more thing that he prophesied that hasn't happened yet. And that is the coming of the Son of Man, the last day, the day of judgment. And this day will happen. But those of you who listen to Jesus' word and repent of your sins now will be spared from the desolation of condemnation. You will be spared from the wrath of God against sin because you have what Jesus promised. Though you don't know your dying hour and though you don't know the hour of Christ's return, you who put your faith in Christ are ready at any moment to leave this world behind, to leave everything you have and to inherit the kingdom of God. 
You have been baptized into Christ. You hear his word and believe it. You kneel here in repentance and faith and receive the body and blood. You have Christ on your side who not only tells you of the destruction of the world, but also who promises to save you from it. You have the cross of Christ, your dear Lord, whose broken heart forgives all of your sins. Let his sacrifice for your forgiveness be the word in your ears and the treasure in your heart. When you look all around you and see nothing but abomination, when you're surrounded by hopelessness, when you see nothing but false Christ and charlatans robbing you of the grace of God, all of this means just one thing, that Jesus is going to return. But you can be sure of this. He will not leave you ashamed of what you confess. So confess your sins. Because he has come to forgive them. And confess the gospel. Because Christ has died to give you salvation. Take Jesus at his word. Trust in Christ who faced the greatest abomination on the cross in order to save you from that damnation. Receive the sign he gives you now, the sign of his word, his forgiveness, his love that shows you all he promises to give you on that final day. And know that whatever he says is for your good, no matter how difficult it may seem to your flesh. Believe his word that saves you from all condemnation and that blesses you at last with salvation. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.